And I think once, if a child ever has the ability to play something, that child can transfer that. For instance, a child that plays piano can pick up other things. If a child can play something here, as simple as it might be, uh, well, for instance, any child that can play heart and soul or something like that, the potential is the child has some facility to learn something else. See, so anything is always a starting place, and I like to see it that way. Um, as we're talking about songs that work well for possible congregational singing, we want to think of songs that use fewer than seven tones, if we want to use orf instruments. So something, a song that doesn't use every diatonic pitch. And there are lots of songs that only use five tones. There are quite a few that use six, and, uh, but the six are not always the same, the five are not always the same. You can have different combinations of that. There's some hymns that are hymnal, there are about three that only use four tones. And one of the most famous melodies in all of the church uses five, but it only uses the fifth one once. Okay, that's uh, when I survey the wonders cross. Okay, that it only uses it uses four tones, and one time it, it uses do re mi fa, and one time it puts a T in there, and that's it. And that's considered one of the best tunes and one of the most single song tunes in uh, the tune Hamburg. It's a very well known tune. So you see, minimal resources doesn't mean that it couldn't be really useful. But that gives you a lot of freedom when they're not all the songs, all the tones. Another thing is songs that use few half steps. The more chromaticism you have, the harder it is to do things that work well with children. And that's partly because children don't necessarily negotiate half steps well at a young age. We say that that most preschoolers won't sing half steps in tune. And even children, second, first, second, third graders, many of them won't sing half steps in tune. And so our goal is not for them, not for exact tuning, our goal is experiential to keep them singing. It doesn't mean just because your kid can sing half steps in tune or your grandchild or somebody that all kids can do that. But that's not important right at that point. So if we take the half steps out, that's important. Another important thing is um, songs that have a slow, implied harmonic rhythm. And let me um, explain that a little bit. The more chords the song has, and the more chords the song has to have, the less crea creativity you have within that song, that melody. Okay. So when it has a lot of chords, creativity level is shrinking every time. Um, but all of those chords don't have to be used just because they are impl they're implied or because they're in hymnals. So a big thing is to take a melody, just take the melody, and stop harmonizing it. And then you can start to be creative. If we can just remove melody, then that's a huge step. Um, getting started, start with a melody, ignore all pre-existing harmonic implications. And so we just start with a melody. I talk, say that to my students all the time because they, everybody's interested in harmony and everybody wants to be, you know, cool with harmony and stuff. But melody is important. Melody is overlooked. It's often what's missing in our congregational singing, in my opinion. But not just in, I'll say, not just in more contemporary outfits. I think we have a lot of hymns, maybe not really, really, really standard ones, that don't really 
they're not that predictable. If you sung some hymns this week that maybe weren't real familiar tunes to you, and you know, even after the third time, you weren't just—it wasn't just kind of coming naturally to you. Okay. Well, in my my estimation, if it doesn't come pretty naturally to me after the second time or so, two or three times through, what about somebody that doesn't even think about these things? When I wake up and I have laryngitis, or I'm like this morning, my voice was you know, about a fifth lower than it's supposed to be, just from fatigue. And you all that were at the first session heard how my voice didn't sound very good. I think you know that's that's probably not even as good as most people wake up on a normal day. So if I can say this is the way most people are feeling about their voices today that I can be a lot gentler and kinder and give them a chance to be a lot more successful. So I think melody is something, I, this is not the point of this session, but I think melody is way overlooked in our culture. But I would also say that for some of us, we would think that contemporary songs would be very difficult to sing for, our, for some of the older ones of us. But for younger people, I've learned their perception of standard hymnody is that those songs are really hard to sing and they just don't make sense in my ear. Where the opposite would be true. So all that says is that what you believe is not necessarily true for all people. And what I believe, it may be, it's, it's my experience, but it is only my experience. It is not universal. That's important. Yeah. So just a few little things there. Some other things, um, creating a ground uh, of Bordeaux, if you're talking Orf. For some of you in Julie Scott's sessions the last few days, she did lots of Orf things, and I, after I saw her topics, I almost changed this one because she was doing so many Orf things. But I think we'll probably go in a little bit of a different direction. But in Orf, you use a Bordeaux, which is a, a base, a ground, and I just put it in some more um, lay terms. And then identify possible asinato patterns, and then determine a mood. So, a few other little things as we go along here. We have uh, some different kinds of morph instruments. Uh, the one that Kathy has is a metallophone, okay? Because this has metal bars, and so we have a metallophone here, we have a metallophone here, we have a metallophone here. So we have a bass metallophone. I think this is an alto and this is a soprano. Mm -hmm. Even if the hard part sometimes between the different ones is this is a sonor, this is a Studio 49, and when you cross brands, it's hard to tell, well, is this the smallest one of this brand? Because it's big, it's smaller than this one, but it's not, you know, what the other one looks like of the other brand. So it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. But these are metallophones. The qualities of metallophones is that they have a very resonant quality, and they're overpowering, or they're quite prominent. So Kathy, play a little bit of your instrument. You need another. Yeah, if you play a couple together, you get pretty strong, um, you get a lot of resonance, and it's pretty prominent. Okay, so metallophones, you want to have slower parts with metallophones because if you have faster parts with metallophones, then you get a lot of uh, overtones or just all over the place, and it's muddy. Okay, all right, now um, xylophones. We have a xylophone here, this is a bass xylophone. Play a little bit, Amy. Okay. It's a very, very different kind of sound. You can play fast on xylophones and they are cool. You can play uh, xylophones, everybody's favorite. Um, 
With xylophones, you can do faster things. Now, the third category of orphan instruments are blockage spills, and we have a whole little group here. They're only, there's bass xylophone, there's um, alto xylophone, and soprano. There are not tenor orphan instruments. Okay. So you don't do have tenor. You know what? I, the kids used to ask me that all the time because I teach them voicing, and they'd say, well, why do you leave out tenor? They used to make a tenor alto, which was really? just slightly extended alto. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I never had one. They, they may just call it alto now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. We have, so that's the cat, those are the categories. And then within Glottis, we only have soprano and alto. And again, it's hard to tell when you cross. Yeah, and these are soprano, but this one's almost as big as this one, but it's a different brand. So, so it's hard to tell when they're not the same brands lined up. But then it's not a lot of difference. In glockenspiels are an octave high or octave higher or two octaves higher. So you can do faster things with them because uh, you study the harmonic system, the overtones are fewer the higher you go, so that you don't have you can do closer things and faster things that aren't going to give you so many overtones and so you get more clarity. So that helps us to know how to orchestrate when we're talking about. And what we're going to be doing is kind of simple orchestration. And what I'd like for you to do is look in your hymnal at hymn number 603. And I thought about this morning, in the three hours in the morning, that it's going to be hard for me to keep these hymnals open, um, which is, and I should have probably copied the pages for you, so number 603. Yeah, if you're going to have a little problem, but you're not going to be looking at a lot. 603, which is Jesus loves me. And what I've chosen here are some different examples of hymns. And then if we have time at the end, we'll take some that some others and just play around with them and see what we want to do with them. But 603. Um, Jesus Love Me is a pentatonic hymn. It uses five different tones. Do, re, mi, so, la. That's a major pentatonic. Great idea. Do, re, mi, so, la. Major pentatonic. Now, let's, we can't, you can't play the key of D on fourth instruments. So you can only play in C, F, and G. But you have accidentals for, for F and G. We're probably not going to put accidentals on today because it takes time and setup and they're all in the big box and yeah, I didn't prepare very well. Sorry about that. Let's just do something with Jesus Loves Me now. Let's do kind of a peaceful arrangement. Let's have uh, Kathy play a C and a G, which would be a Bordeaux. A C and a G is a fifth, okay? So I'm just going to play.
build up from the bottom up, and I'm going to bring you in, and we'll, we'll it'll be cumulative, and then we're all going to sing Jesus loves me. Okay, and play. Okay, so we're going to start. Uh, let's start. Ready, go. Singing as they moved and 
And everybody would think you were brilliant. <laughs> you know, absolutely amazing. And what we did was doable with children, actually. It would be a little harder because children have more trouble keeping tempo than we do, and you know, just all those kind of things. Now, let's pretend that we don't have any of orphan instruments, but we want to do something that has this kind of elemental quality. What could you do with kind of instruments that most churches use on Sunday mornings? Okay. Well, once I studied for stuff a long time ago, you know, 20, over, well over 20 years ago, nearly 30 years ago, and I was in a church that at first didn't have any kind of instruments, but we had a whole bunch of um, uh, resonator bells, you know, like used to be really popular with children, children too. We have all these resonator bells, so I just gave resonator bells out to kids, and we did all the stuff with resonator bells. We had somebody that had left somewhere in our church an old. Uh, those kind of marching band things that we used to see marching band oh, people play, you know, you know, those things, you know. There was one of those in a closet. Well, I'll take that thing out, you know. And then I had some kids at the organ, some kids with their hands playing the pedals. So they had to go up and down the floor, you know. And then some other kids sitting on the bench doing some different things, which gave us a chance to talk about organ registration and, you know, how you can make different sounds and stuff. And some other kids, two or three kids playing piano. And we just have this, all this different stuff going. And, and I think you have to, some churches, you probably can't be that messy. You know, you just can't. But, but some places we can. And small churches are better for our ability to kind of, but what about a music camp, see, you know, or something like that, where parents are coming expecting things to be kind of put together. You know, you might have to start it over, that kind of thing. A lot of our churches used to have Sunday night services, and that was the great laboratory for all things. I mean, I'm glad we don't do so many Sunday nights, but it did give you a chance to just do all kinds of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can also, you don't have to do everything in worship. You could take this, you could do this in, um, for retirement people. You could take it to an adult, an older adult Sunday school class who still all gathers together, you see. And take your children to do something in a setting like that. And there's all kinds of ways you can find for sharing things. Jesus loves me would be a great uh, mission Sunday thing with some mm -hmm. kids with uh, flags, you know, and, and sing Jesus loves me in different languages. Mm -hmm. yeah. Beautiful. In a hymnal. Yeah. yeah, and you can get all this online. These days, you know, all these different languages. Kids could learn those and even hear somebody else singing, I'm sure, you know, all this. So just to kind of expand our ideas, but sometimes we, the simplicity is where we can do so much and we can achieve so much. Because if we do really complicated things where every two measures we can try to change patterns and all that, we might do well by music reading, but we might not get a chance to involve kids as quickly. And the experience ultimately is more, is most important. Let's look at a very another kind of song. Let's look at number 106. Number 106. Uh, he is born. Let's sing this together first. Uh, somebody give us a C. So he is born, the divine Christ child. Lady all over back life's melody. He is born, the divine Christ child. Sing we all of 
nuts. Yeah. Now, that's a, what Kathy just said is a very good observation, was the point I want to make. Aren't we amazing? Okay. Then how do you think children feel about their experiences? Oh, my goodness. Many years ago, the first time I ever bought orphans from the church, we didn't have a good place to store them, so for a period of time, we put them in, they were kind of sitting in the back of the choir room, kind of up on a riser back there, and we had a, you know, a pile of sheep over or something. Well, adults um, figured out they were back there. And after choir rehearsal on Wednesday night, they started having these little jam sessions you know, with the orchestras and just having fun playing. You know. How many did you buy them, Dr. Brett? Yeah, that's a great question. So how do you start? Um, how, where do you start? The instruments that I have started with are not my favorites, but they're the ones I've started with. I've started with an alto um, metallophone and an alto glockenspiel. Okay. Partly because and these instruments are very prominent. And you can take a children's choir of 15 or 20 and one alto metallophone and you can, you know, you can hear it. And then you have something for a stable uh, ground. And then you've got something to kind of frill up here, you know, with. And it can work well in combination with other instruments. So that's what I've started with. And then the next thing I've added would be um, xylophones, which then everybody is really good. A way to buy orphan instruments, in my, my experience, is to borrow some, an orphan instrument or two from somewhere else, use them in church, and then let people know that if we had some of these, our children could use them more frequently. That's right. And, and I have never had an experience where people didn't step up and say, I'd like to help. Could I buy one of those for our children? Yeah. Yeah. But have the good kids do it the first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're trying to get money. Yeah. Get the yeah. but, but, but that's a way that I started. The other way is to put it something in your budget for a three or five year plan and say, year one of three years and put, like those two instruments would cost you, this would be about 230 bucks or something like that, around that price, and then $100, $110, something like that. And then put, depending on the kind of resources you have, but if you put $400, and the second year you get two more instruments for $400, and then the third year, you might, if you're going to get one of these, it's going to be like eight to nine hundred dollars, and then that would be a real, a bigger push, see, or something like that. But then you can prorate it out over several years. I found that accounting budget kind of people, they love long-range incremental things, and they'll do all sorts of things if you show a plan, you show a progression. Now, what I found is I was able to do the progression faster because some people always stepped up with some some finances. And sometimes you can do that, you know, if you get some kind of a bonus or something that you didn't expect from other employment or, you know, I mean, sometimes we get these little windfalls and we can do something special with those and give gifts or in honor of somebody, you know, or things like that. So those are ways that I've gotten more instruments in the past. But I also use a lot of ORF techniques for congregational singing. Just a whole bunch of things for congregational singing, like um, we do Jesus Loves Me in our church when we have parent-child dedication and they walk around and show the babies, you know, and 
kind of walk through the aisles and that kind of thing. Well, I just get tired of just saying, well, Jesus loves me, so we'll, you know, do something with the piano and the organ playing little ostinatos, and I'll get another instrument that we have in our old van doing something, and just instead of everybody just playing the same old thing, you know, just to be different, you know, and not just to be different, but to make this special, you know, and, and do something with it. I want to also demonstrate one other thing that I came up with a number of years ago. Let's all stand behind our instruments. Let's see. I don't know how well, who sings how well and all this kind of stuff. But let me um, ask, let's do this. Let's take the he is born idea. Let's see. I know that Kristen's a good singer, and I can tell that you're Mark. Mark is a good singer. Let's do, you're not going to play, we're going to sing here. We're going to go, um, hmm. I want you to sing, he is born, he is born, he is born, he is God, he is born, 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 and hold that, and then let's go, um, um, bagpipes merrily, uh, let's have you guys sing, Bagpipes merrily, bagpipes merrily, bagpipes merrily, bagpipes merrily. He is born, he is born, bagpipes merrily, bagpipes born, bagpipes born, bagpipes born. Play the piano, play the piano, play the piano, play the piano. Okay, now let's get started, you guys. We're gonna bring everybody in. Ready and go. He is born. He is born, 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 he Or six or something, we'd come stand in front of the congregation and we would be the vocal accompaniment 
you know, which was a precursor of beatboxing or something, you know, would be the vocal accompaniment for the congregation. And, we, and it just was really delightful, you know, because you get a strong singer, but you got all these little lots and other things. Why, but people yeah. really started picking up comment, didn't they? <laughs> it was Did good. Did Well, it, it made a lot of memories, and people will still talk about that, you know, and I see this many years ago now, but people will still talk about that. And I have a question. Did you write any of it down? Maybe no, I didn't. <laughs> I just did it. No, I didn't. I, I mean, sometimes I would use the piano, but if I was doing this, I didn't. It was just a, just a vocal thing, see. But you can do these kind of things with children, see. You know, they can sing as long as it's a melody, it's an ostinato part from the song. And the reason I ask you to sing the text is because that way, if you put text with it, you can sing it. If you know to teach the song first, then pull the part out of the song. You can do that. So, like, uh, Kristen's a junior high teacher. Well, that's something you could have your kids, uh, you know, just a warm-up. You know, simply a warm-up activity. And, and, but if you've got to just sing that, it could be a great concert opener. You know, you could add some kids that play or some orchestral instruments or something. And, I mean, it would be amazing, you know, to do something like that. I've done that also with adult choir and had them do a, like a Christmas concert. I'd actually done this song for a Christmas concert and had the adult choir be the vocal accompaniment for the congregation during a Christmas concert. And we just simply, you know, just kind of line it out and start it, and then I bring the congregation in, and, you know, it's just very, just let it kind of have its life, you know. Just like kind of we did, and you had to, then you had the congregation. <laughs> yeah, and then I just say, sing with me, you know, bum, 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 you know, or something. Or then you might actually bring an instrument in to support the melody, or, you know, like just a single instrument or something. Just one, one line, you know. Harmony ruins these things. So you can't, you, that's why you can't say, no, 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 that, you know. Just let's leave melody here. But I like the idea of doing something different on the on the refrain. You could put a soloist on the verses, see, and lightly play behind them. You could put just the choir singing just the verses, and then having the congregation come in every time on the refrain. You could do that in a, like a Christmas party or something like that, or Sunday morning, you know, congregation. Yeah, you could do that as an Advent theme in your church, and your Advent theme could be He is born. You could have a banner, Advent banners, He is born, bulletin covers, everything, He is born. And then every Sunday you could sing, He is born, just that opening melody. And you could have one Sunday children could come processing with the, and another Sunday adults could do something, and you could have every Sunday something different musically with just that one theme. And then you could add, make it cumulative where you add something every week to it. Oh, our preacher would think yeah. I just was the most brilliant thing in the world. She would love, she loves themes, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. Yeah. I've always tried to pick an Advent theme that has a song connected to it. Or I've tried to change a song, like a song that works and change it around. Like, um, there's this little thing I've used so many times. It's a chorus of skill, the whole thing. It's a code. It's Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. I don't even remember that. I've changed the ending so many times, I don't remember what the original is. Alleluia, bum, bum, bum. And I've changed it to Christ is born and had the theme, had the theme, Alleluia, Christ is born. I've had Alleluia, Christ is risen. <laughs> I've changed it to Easter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think I did something with Palm Sunday that is a Palm Sunday, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, you can sometimes just change one little thing and make it seasonal. And it's something like that, you can just, you can do instruments with it, you can have a recurring refrain within scriptures and all kinds of things like that. There's a little bit of modeling on that the other day with a couple in the worships, but not the same kind of thing. Let's look at uh, a more contemporary song. Let's look at 297. This has been a challenge for me to say, how do you do this with some more contemporary songs? We did a little variation of this a couple of years ago at Hallelujah. I think we started one time with uh, Abby, I don't know if you were here that summer, but we did, so I think we did something with Here I Am to Worship. Maybe, maybe we did, uh, it would be five or six years ago. Um, I would also tell you, just a little aside, this is a contemporary song that can work for Advent. Because it says, Light of the world, you step down into darkness, open my eyes that I may see. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of life. So if you put that in the context of Advent, suddenly this, this whole thing could, this whole worship thing could take on an Advent theme. So you could have an Advent theme of light of the world, or, you know, we worship a child, or, you know, something like that. And you could use, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, something like that. You could use it as an Advent theme. Or, yeah. Um, I didn't figure that out. I had this group of students. I had to do an Advent service one time, and they they said this would work for Advent, and so I thought you're brilliant. I love this. <laughs> so a lot of best ideas I have are not mine, but, but uh, I learned that from students. But they were paying attention to the text, which was absolutely what you want them to start to do. This wasn't a music group; it was a like a seminary class. We did that. Let's see what we can do with this one. Um, I want this to be gentle. Let's think of it gentle. But again, say so you think of a praise song, you think of it having drums and a beat. You know, well, let's let's treat let's treat it gently this time and see what we do. Um, let's do um, you guys just do something similar like uh, F and C. Let's do.
the transition from, I don't even know what the song that preceded it was. But I didn't want to stop it and start it over, and I think we did some scriptures about worship or something in the meantime. Yeah. Um, there's another little song on your handout. Do you all know the little song, Beautiful Things, that maybe sung? We sang it in Alleluia last year. Yes. Um, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things of us. And then it has you make beautiful the second phrase things. You make beautiful things of us. The first time out of dust. We did it in Alleluia last year. But it, that's just a little tiny part of a bigger song. But that little thing could work beautifully with, with orphan instruments. And that's something kids would know. Just be a little refrain out of like a really popular Gunger praise and worship song. But you could put, um, it, it's usually sung in D, I think. And you could put it in C and just go, um, it only has like, has almost no melody. But you could go, um, um, of beautiful things. Um, which would be me fa me fa la la. It's a me fa re mi so me fa re. So yeah 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 re la la yeah 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 re mi re mi. And just do some little things with that, some little gentle things. So, but that was just another thing that came to mind for me. Let's do one more here. Let's do morning has broken. Number 27. But this, this is not pentatonic, but it is um, hexatonic, which means as seven. Six, six tones. Okay. I could get my folk song stuff in mind here, but that's hexatonic. And, but it does not, there's not a fa in this whole piece. There is a T, but there's not a fa. And there's only, I think they, there may be only one T. If you're looking at the melody. Okay, so if there, if there's, so this is not really, it's not pentatonic, but it's almost pentatonic. And so I would call it pentatonic with an added fa, since there's only, or added T, since there's only one T. And the T is not that prominent because it's a passive tone. So that, that's not enough to bother anything. That's not enough to shade stuff. Okay, this, let's think about this in a more ethereal kind of way. Since morning has broken like the first morning and the, like the coming is waking up and stuff like that. So why don't we, I'm going to let you kind of figure that out. But a couple of things. Uh, somebody can do, you guys kind of stay within the range of kind of stuff you're doing. Kind of aborted. Somebody can go, Blackbird has spoken, Do re mi sola. And somebody can, So mi do re, So mi do re. You can do that one. And then somebody can go, Me the praise for lives free. Me re mi sola. Me And somebody can do, Re, re, mi, re, do. Re, mi, re, do. We should all pick out some things. That's it, yeah. Overall, you can play a bit more aggressively. And use your, like, hold your hands like a hand of ours with a 
Yeah, I was going to do something on Gloria, adios, Gloria, adios, Gloria, whatever the text of that. But, uh, you know, something like that, that you could easily do some you know, nice stuff. And it's okay to, you know, have some instruments, you know, in your pocket or something and just go pass them out to some people in the congregation, you know, and, oh, yeah. and just let's see what happens. Yeah. The worst thing that happens is they don't do anything, which is might be what they were going to do otherwise, so it's not going to hurt anything, you know. But you give them to people that you know, and, you know, you, you people, there's a lot of dormant talent in all of our congregations. Yeah. And I like to think when, you, when you're in a church that you've been in a long time, or you're good at listening to people, you pick up on the fact that so-and-so played in the band and played percussion in the band a long time ago. And you always remember, oh, that person's got rid of them, you know, or whatever, you know. You just never know the talent that's in your congregation. I sometimes tell my students that if you were to go to the church where my parents go to church, it's a little church of about 60, 70 people, way out in the country, your observation would be these people, they don't know any music. But if you knew who played in the band in the 50s and the 60s and you know all these people, you have these people sitting out here who they, they've got musical dormant musical skills. There's nobody asking to do anything with it. And you might not want them to get their trumpet out, you know, or something like that, but they, but they have some abilities, have some innate stuff that is still right there. And if you think about yourself, you know, if um, I'm 53 and I've practiced music all my life, but if I hadn't, I would be a bit off-put for somebody to assume I've forgotten what I learned 40 years ago. Because in my mind, 40 years ago, it's really not that long ago. You know, and I still would, I would be quite awkward to think that you wouldn't think I could still play euphonium and do all the fingerings and play the different keys because I haven't done it in 10 years. But I was good at it at some point. So I still know how to do that. You know, you still, you still don't, you don't forget those things, you know, completely. Yeah. And younger people tend to think that older people are way, way older than they really are. What I'm learning is that that's not true at all. And it's a bit off-putting when people, you know, might assume that you couldn't do because of age. Yeah, you know, it, it's just not, it's not true. But it's something even as young people we have to recognize. You know. yeah. Do you have some suggestions for the children's choir people working with the music director of the church, how that comes about? The best thing to do, I think, is to plan far ahead and say, we're going to be doing looking at this in November. And in December, could you incorporate this hymn, this song, into worship? And we'd love to give the children a chance to introduce this or to be a part of playing it or playing the introduction. Or how could we do that? Because if you know it's coming, you can, you can plan around it. And then when you plan worship, you are planning in advance. You're planning around it rather than having to figure out then how to accommodate it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you might make this a really great moment or you build up to it with other things. And it's all about, we talked in a session I did the other day, that I don't know who all was in there, but about framing things in worship and how you contextualize things. So you can frame it right with other things if you know what to do with it. Yeah. Or you might bring it back two or three times in one worship service. You might start with it and you might bring it back another time something to do with an offering or you know you could bring the same thing back with children 
in two or three different places, or using the different parts of the room even. Yeah. Especially with older children. See, older children can, they can be quiet and do all. They, older children can do anything adults can do. Sometimes better. But they can absolutely do anything adults can do. Like older elementary children. And they will, the more responsibility you give them, the more they thrive. They really thrive on, and, and talking to them about what you believe in them. You know, I trust you guys. You, my goodness, I trust you in anything. You get to, you know, you're, you're the brightest kids I've ever worked with. You are, that might not be true. I've never worked with any brighter children. You guys are amazing. Wow. And, you know, be, and really pull them up, you know, just, and what you see is when you talk to them like that, they, they stand tall. They do. Yes. But don't we all? Yes. Don't we all? You know, there's nothing more, more wonderful than for somebody to expect something of you. Yeah. We're all, everybody in, you meet in church wants you to help them be something they couldn't be on their own will. That's my a philosophy of ministry. That I, even if we don't quite know it yet, we want everybody to be gentle with us, but we want people to help us be better. Especially people that come to fire person. Why would you come to fire if you didn't think something like that? Yeah. And they're trusting me. Yeah. The other thing with children, uh, um, if you can use whatever they're doing as part of the service, not mm -hmm. a little performance. Mm -hmm. When we sing during communion, there's no place for clapping or anything, mm -hmm. and they really feel a part of the service. Mm -hmm. We've tried really hard in our church to, if children sing, a lot of times children sing a call to worship, which is easy to incorporate, mm -hmm. and they come up, they, you know, after a greeting or something, and we, they, they're up already maybe, they sing a call to worship, and then they know the opening hymn, or maybe it's a praise song that they know that it tags into what they're already singing. They stay up for that. And then maybe they sing something else and there's a prayer in the middle. And maybe because they're up, they, they're the ones that do the prayer. Maybe one of them prays or a tag team of them prays, passing a mic or an invocation or some sort like that. And then we, we connect them in so that they're not just doing something they're singing by themselves, but they're always, we're trying to always have them lead congregationally. Which also means they, we don't have strings in our church and so it might mean you have to buy one poster and, you know, old school stuff, you know, to help them be reminded of text or something. Or we basically, we put it on a card and construction paper and they pick up their piece of paper if they haven't had time to memorize it. So you, and I, often then I'll stand down beside them to be there to be sure we're all leading well and then they're comfortable. But I'll step up beside them or step down, whatever. And I'm, we're all a little team, you know, leading here. So incorporating them is really, really important. And the applause thing, you know, children are the, even if your church is not a big applause church, children are the one place that everybody feels absolutely that they, there's no question that they must applaud. We often start uh, an organ, something on the same chord before the, if the piano's playing for the children, then the organist just jumps right in on the last chord and we transition right into the intro of the next hymn. <laughs> we just... We don't give a quiet. We don't give any quietness. Just smooth. You know, a few people will clap. But um, if you talk to children about 
why, why might it not be good if somebody collapsed? You know, why would we, might we really not want that? Children totally understand those things. They get it. Their parents know. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, they don't. But, but children tell their parents too. I mean, how much have you taught your parents through the years? A lot, probably. Our parents grow so much as a result of We grow so much as a result of our children. That would be my this perspective at this point. Yeah, well, mine, you yeah. said you get older. I think more about what I taught mine, but what mine are teaching me. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your good comments and for your, your help.